It's a 40-day period known as the dog, dog, dog days. This year, it started on July 3rd, ending Friday, August, August 11th. 11th. We are still waiting for our second 90-degree day of the summer. What gives? What gives? Will the summery heat ever escort backyard thermometers to 90 degrees again? Let's talk about it. Today on Weather Jazz. It's Monday, and welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything, weather, science, earth, science, and a whole lot more. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier, and I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 547 for Monday, July 24, 2023. And yes, we are still holding at number one. That is the number of days that we've seen the temperature hit 90 degrees so far this summer. And it just barely hit 90 on that day in June. And since then, nothing. Will we see more? This is the 90-degree episode on this Monday. I'll also be sharing a post from Caring Bridge from someone you all know if you've been following Weather Jazz for any length of time. His name, Neil Manasa, and he's a beekeeper in Northern Virginia, and he's been a very close friend for many, many decades. And in this post that I'm going to be reading, he gives us an update on his bees. All I can tell you is I was exhausted listening to this post. That is coming up in just a little bit. Okay, first of all, we certainly had some interesting weather over the weekend. We had a little disturbance glide in on Sunday, and the number of thunderstorms that popped up uh, were pretty significant. We even had a severe thunderstorm warning that was issued for Cuyahoga County late in the evening, right around sundown. All of that settled down in the overnight period. And on this Monday morning, things are pretty quiet and should remain that way going into a lot of the week. Now, will we see other thunderstorms that bubble up? Chances are we will, especially as we go deeper and deeper into the week and as temperatures really begin to ramp up. And really, that's the primary subject of today's Weather Jazz episode. We're going to talk about 90-degree days. This year, we waited until July 5th to see the first 90-degree day this year. That's pretty late. Most of them occur in the month of June, Occasionally, we have the first 90-degree day that shows up in the month of May. And, of course, in the year 2000, which is 23 years ago, we had no 90-degree days. That's rare, big-time rare. And to have a 90-degree day that waits until July is somewhat rare, although it can happen periodically. Okay, so far, we've had one 90-degree day up to today, July the 24th, 2023. 
So let's take a look at the number of 90-degree days up until July 24th in the last 10 years. Last year, we had 11. Big difference between one. In 2021, we had five. And in 2020, 12. Now, we've got to go all the way back to 2015 to find a year where we only had one up to this point. And the average number of 90-degree days that we've had up until July 24th today is actually eight. So the very fact that we've capped at one is really, really rare. So how often does that happen? In other words, how often do we see only one 90-degree day occurring up to this point, July 24th? And again, that's very, very late. Well, in order to compare apples to apples, we have to keep the official readings in the same location. And they moved to Cleveland Hopkins Airport in 1938. So we begin our quest and looking at all of the data from 1938 to the current year. And the number of times that we've seen only one 90-degree day through July the 24th since 1938 is 11. So here's another way to look at it. 12% of the years since the weather readings were taken at Hopkins Airport have seen only one 90-degree day or fewer 90-degree days up until July the 24th. And if you break it down further, that essentially means that we will see that happen approximately once every 10 years. So essentially, it's not very often that that will occur. So then I started wondering if there were any places in the USA that have never seen a 90-degree day in the summertime. And I didn't have to look too far, although... One could make the case that you could easily take Mount Washington as such a location. But do they really count? Yes, they are a surface observation station, but they're way up at 6,288 feet above sea level. So do they really count? Let's go ahead, for the sake of argument, filter them out. There is a town that is actually above that elevation. But we have to go into the Rockies for that. So my attention went to Leadville, Colorado, one of the highest places, habitable towns in the lower 48. It's up around eight or 9,000 feet. I can't remember which. I'd have to look up their official airport elevation, but it's up there. It is up just under 10,000 feet as far as I can remember. Now, at that altitude, chances are they too will not have ever seen a 90-degree day. And that is, in fact, the case. The highest temperature ever recorded at Leadville, Colorado, was 86 degrees. And remember, that's their all-time record, 86 degrees which means that most of the time in the months of June and July, their average high temperature remains in the 70s. But that basically makes a lot of sense, given the fact that they're so high up in altitude. 
So let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen this week. It looks like temperatures will glide past 90 once, maybe twice this week, making it only the second and or third time that we've hit 90 degrees so far this summer. That will likely occur on Wednesday, Thursday, possibly Friday. We'll keep an eye on those days. Of course, we'll have an update for you on Weather Jazz right here on Wednesday. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. I'm going to read to you a post that was made by a guest of Weather Jazz on Caring Bridge. His name, Neil Manasa. You may remember Neil. We've had him on a number of times on Weather Jazz talking about his bees and getting us familiar with beekeeping. Very, very important to the agricultural society and interests of America. His post was submitted on July the 21st, and it was called Don't Fence Me In. I haven't written anything for a while, so I thought it was time to break my silence. I've been busy. Each day I try and put out whatever is on fire. I always have the best of intentions, but but something always derails me. Sisyphus and I have a lot in common. We are both kings, he of Ephyra, and me of the gardens of Hickory Grove. Each day we awake, still a little sore from the day before, we smile without saying a word to each other and depart for our appointed tasks. Sisyphus has been rolling the same boulder up the same mountain for an eternity, only to have it rolled back to the bottom of the mountain each night. My tasks are more like stacked dominoes. I grow a garden that every living thing wants to take a bite out of. The only way to keep the bunnies, woodchucks, and rats with hooves, a.k.a. deer, out of my garden is to build an electric fence around the ten raised beds. But before the fence can be built, I needed to bear-proof the bees by relocating the five beehives inside the electrified perimeter. However, to really do it correctly, the beehives needed to sit atop a gravel bed. Before putting the first fence post in the ground, we had 20,000 pounds of number 55 stone delivered. The truck dumped it in one large pile behind our shed. Kevin and I spent the day spreading the stone into 5 by 30 foot path. The entire run had to be level. After installing the beehive stand, I waited until nightfall, when all of the bees were in their hives. And one by one, I moved each of the five 70-plus pound hives to their new location. It went flawlessly. I was so proud. The next morning, even before Sisyphus had departed for his mountain, Dawn woke me to report that there were thousands of bees all flying around their old cinder block pedestals. It turns out that the bees are internally imprinted with their hive location. They had no problem leaving their hives, but when they returned, it was to their old locations. I had to quickly put an empty hive box back at their old location so the pollen and nectar-laden bees could land and walk into their old familiar home. Once inside, I would block the entrance, 
pick up the hive and bring it back to their new hive location and brush the bees into their perspective hive boxes. The only problem was that I only had two spare hive boxes, so I had to play musical hives. I learned that the bees will eventually re-imprint their new hive location, but not before returning to their old location at least six times. Sisyphus only has to roll one boulder. I had to rehouse more than 60,000 bees over three straight days. See what I mean about dominoes? I need to protect my garden beds, but first I had to relocate the beehives. Before the relocation, a beehive rock bed had to be built. After the relocation, I had to spend three days in a beekeeper suit trapping, running with the trapped bees to their new location, opening their old hive and releasing and brushing the trapped bees back into their homes. Then returning the empty hive box to a different old location to start the relocation process all over again. Finally, it was time to put fence posts into the ground. All we needed was a good day or two of solid rain to soften the ground. Since May 1st, we've only had one solid day of rain. We might as well have been trying to pound the post into concrete. It was okay, though. We really needed to build the greenhouse before the fence. Did I mention we bought a greenhouse this past April? Some assembly required, like 100% assembly required. How tough could it be? The first page of the instructions outlined precise plans for building the greenhouse foundation. It involved pouring four concrete footings and constructing 400 pounds of pressure-treated sills. The sills had to be perfectly leveled before being filled with 2,000 pounds of gravel. One day, about three weeks ago, Don asked, Isn't the fence up yet? What's taking so long? Dominoes. It's now July 21st. The bees are now flying in and out of their new locations. The greenhouse foundation has been built and filled with gravel. 30 of the 35 fence posts are in the ground, but still no fence. In the meantime, Kevin and I have leaned cattle grates around our vegetable beds. Yesterday, Don said, I know you're working on the electric fence, but our little chickens arrive in two weeks. Is their chicken run ready? Five more dominoes have now been added. Hmm, somehow rolling a boulder up a mountain every day doesn't seem so bad. And so there is the latest episode from Neil Manasa in Winchester, Virginia. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence. Social media is always a good outlet. Email or eyeball to eyeball is even better. Tell the folks that you run around with that you listen to Weather Jazz and it's fun. At least we always try to make it fun. Do you have a question? topic suggestion or otherwise i welcome your input even if it's just to stop by to say hello you can reach me weatherjazz at yahoo.com 
by email. Also via voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 234-525-5888. Well, we are in the dog days of summer. Where in the world did we get that name, dog days? Since we're approaching Science Wednesday, we'll take another Science Wednesday to deviate from the Big Blue Marble series to talk about the dog days of summer and the origin of the name. Hope you'll join us. We'll see you Wednesday right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz Pop!